We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hey again, everyone. Welcome back for some bonus Perpetual Chess content. We are happy to report that two uh, familiar voices to chess and U.S. chess and Perpetual Chess fans um, are joining us live from London. We have, I am Eric Rosen, who is there taking pictures and doing the Twitter takeover for U.S. chess, and Kostya Kovutsky, who's there as a fan and also doing some great write-ups for U.S. chess. So guys, thanks so much for joining us uh, straight from the source of this incredible historic chess event. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's an honor to be back. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's good to yeah, uh, this is see a, you again. This is you guys. I know you're you're practiced at uh, sharing the mic because you guys do those great recaps when you've uh, traveled together and done tournaments. But I've only done one or two like dual interviews, so we'll have to feel our way through this. But uh, uh, I'm sure you guys, um, being in the same room, can uh, can do some verbal cues. 
Sure. I also want to congratulate Costa. I think it, he's broken the record for the most appearances <laughs> on Perpetual Chess. Right? Well, he he's tied with Greg, I guess, because Greg did a mini episode on the Pro Chess League, so kind of similar to this. But obviously, we want Greg to be defeated, so we're we're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have to do what we can to make that happen. So it's like two and a half. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, this is only the beginning, so. <laughs> So uh, we'll see what we can do. But okay, so let's uh, let's get into the the world championship. I mean, that's this is a special edition, basically for the commuters and the diehards that are going to listen right away. Obviously, um, it will still have value late uh, later. But like earlier today, I released an interview with Pontus Carlson, and I intentionally didn't try to make too many predictions or do too much uh, deep analysis of the tournament because it's it's a moment in time right now. But I, what I want for this interview is to capture that moment in time. I mean, we had an incredible game eight yesterday where Fabiano had probably his best chance of the tournament. So what was it like being in the room for that, guys? Oh, actually, that's a that's a great question because that, that was basically when I walked into the, the press room for the first time. And so Eric was there and then Mike Klein and all the other reporters. Um, and so, yeah, he just told me immediately, like, Fabiano has this move C5. The uh, Norwegian computer says it's crushing. And then we were just, like, waiting for 30 minutes to see if he would play it. And everyone was just, like, discussing, like, if he's going to find it, how easy is it to play it, like, what is he calculating, and all this stuff. Uh, so that was very tense. And then he finally played it, and we were like, yes, like, now we got a real game. I mean, yeah, I think we we both thought, along with most everyone else in the venue, that Fabiano was going to score the, the first victory. And, um, I mean, it's easy to think that when you're checking every single line with the engine. But, of course, when there's so much on the line, so much pressure, uh, sometimes you, you forget how difficult it can actually be to play these types of positions precisely. And um, it was unfortunate that we saw, the, what, the eighth draw in a row? Yeah. After, um, I mean, what could have been the first uh, first decisive game of the match? Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because of because of the way it happened. But I don't. The more draws we get, uh, initially, I was sort of uh, like a lot of the the chess fans, especially the more casual ones, a little frustrated with sort of some tepid draws, especially towards the the early middle of the match. But now it's like the suspense is mounting and mounting. So I don't even mind anymore because as the playoff looms, um, to me, like that would just be the height of suspense. So at this point, it doesn't bother me. But yeah, yesterday was quite a missed opportunity. And I had a a similar reaction. I I also just tuned in at that moment, didn't even get a chance to turn on a broadcast, but I could see just from the regular computer, not even Sess or however you pronounce that Norwegian computer's names, (laughs) super analysis, I could see that C5 was a, a significantly stronger move. And then the chat on Chess 24 started going crazy when they, when he played it, and then a couple moves later, it was sort of like the balloon went out of the uh, the air went out of the balloon when when Fabiano played H3. Yeah, that was uh, that was a tough moment because um, okay, again, the engine just like immediately shows like why H3 is like losing White's advantage there, um, but it's totally understandable during a game because it's not like he knew the evaluation in the position and played H3. He had no idea like if he's actually winning or if it's just like very promising. So in many cases, you should play a prophylactic move just to keep your advantage. It's just that here dynamically, it was like one tempo too short. Uh, what was interesting though, like in the press conference, like he actually had no idea that this was where he lost the advantage, at least not until like Daniel King kind of asked him about the move. And then he kind of, figured it out yeah 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I and I think something's different about this world championship vis-a-vis how people are uh, using engines. I mean, even two years ago, I don't know if you guys feel this way too, but I don't remember just the sort of instant Monday morning mo- Monday morning quarterbacking uh, to <laughs> to this degree every time an opportunity is missed. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, everyone has access to the, the engines for for an event like this, and um, especially with with Sessi, like this moment when. Fabiano misses the maiden 30. You're seeing all these comments online, like how how could you be playing for a world championship right. match and miss force mate? And I, I well, think, that one I think was Greg, like uh, you know, basically trolling the, the, all the right. people in the yeah, chat room. Of but. course, there was some uh, sarcasm, but um, I think there's a lot of maybe chess amateurs out there who don't maybe understand the the depth of uh, of what the computer is recommending and to have have these positions in a, a, a practical scenario, it's not easy to uh, cons- consistently play as um, as accurately as possible. Also, I think the thing is that, like, in this match, both players have basically had, like, one real winning chance each mm-hmm. in eight games, which is a lot more than, I think, the 2016 match had. In that match, like, Carlson was missing chances, like, almost every other game. Yeah, so a, lot, I think a lot fewer, to the, be clear. Yeah, it's kind of just like the scarcity of chances. So it's like, well, now he has a chance. It feels like um, like a shot on goal and like they're missing it. Uh, but it's kind of unfair. I think it's just because of how, how few opportunities they've had that we feel like, well, once they get a chance, they should like definitely knock it in. Yeah, and it's also fairly brief windows compared to like often when you have yeah. a winning position. I mean, it's like you might be plus one and a half for 10 moves and just like mess it up eventually. But you had multiple chances to bring it home where... Whereas here, it's really just been like, uh, you know, a few lines, a few specific moves in, in circumstances. With Magnus, it was like approaching the 40th move. So, I mean, not that he wasn't the shortest one on time, but still, that, that makes it even a slightly more of a challenge because I think there was some co- psychology involved of nursing his advantage until the 40th move and, uh, you know, taking it home from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, it's unusual in the, uh, how, how slim the margins have been. Right. I, I do want to uh, note that uh, Vichy Anand had a really good quote the other day. Um, he was saying the, the longer the match goes, the more likely that it will be that one mistake will determine the match. And I think after eight draws so far, he's, he's pretty much right that it could just come down to basically one moment um, of player blundering or, or missing a, a crushing opportunity. Yeah, and... If Fabiano is is to end up not winning the match, I mean, definitely he'll look back at this game, I would think, just as Magnus, you know, he missed such an opportunity on the first game. But this one being so much later in the match, especially if uh, if things don't work out from here, he'll uh, he'll be looking at this game or maybe it'll be too painful to look at that game from yesterday. Yeah. One thing I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you guys about. So we finally got an open Sicilian yesterday, mm-hmm. um, much to the delight of chess fans everywhere. And I'm I'm in that boat. Uh, I have nothing against the Ross and Limo, but the positions just weren't that weren't uh, really to my taste. Um, and Fabiano's, I mean, it seems like his his team is doing some some really good prep. I mean, he's generally doing well in the opening, and yesterday he did quite well. So, what do you guys think? Is Magnus gonna trot it back out there, or now that he's been playing the Sicilian, playing the Sicilian, and now that he finally got an open Sicilian and got put on his back foot a little bit, do you guys think he'll stick with it? That's a good question. I mean, it's hard to predict. And um, I mean, Magnus is the type of player who likes to mix up his openings quite often. So it's been 
kind of a mini surprise that he's been playing Cecilia in every game because he's very capable of playing um, e4, e5 on on the first move. Um, I would imagine that like before the match, Fabiano was studying e4, e5 for white very heavily. Um, so if that happens in, in one of the later games, I, I would expect Fabiano to have some preparation in store. Um, but from a, a spectator perspective and a, a fan perspective, I mean, it's been great to see so many Sicilians. There's been a lot of interesting, um, interesting opening ideas um, from the very beginning. It, it seems like every game that Fabiano is white so far, it's at the very least an interesting opening battle. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it feels unlikely that Magnus will switch away from C5. So one, like Eric said, like, Caruana will be prepared for the Berlin, without a doubt, with some dangerous idea, too. So it's not like he's going to be avoiding uh, the preparation. Uh, and so far, it just seems like, uh, you know, in the previous matches, he always played something uh, weird in Game 1 and then stuck to his main repertoire. But here, he's just started with uh, the Knight C6 Sicilian and, and kind of just stuck to it. So I, I think they'll probably just, like, revise the line for, for the next game and, and then just come ready for any other, like, potential surprises in the Sveshnikov. Uh, now that they know, like, Caruana is willing to go there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I guess that G5 move that Anishgiri highlighted is where he really went wrong. So maybe we'll see them repeat it. But I don't know, Kostya. I have to respectfully, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say disagree. I just I just think we might see him trot out, like, uh, attempted Marshall or anti-Marshall, as he did versus Karyakin. Because I feel like, you know, yes, yes, Fabi will be booked up, and his his prep has been amazing. But, like... Magnus, much more so than the Sveshnikov, like he he can play that in his sleep. I mean, he's he's got so many games under his belt that it could have been that the Sicilian was trotted out as a surprise weapon, and he was just going to keep trotting it out until like Fabi showed him something. And now that he did, maybe he'll switch. We'll see. I mean, we'll know soon enough. And of course, we have a white game before that. But I mean, the white games, Magnus's white games. I fear personally that they're going to get less interesting because. Um, I do think that as we get closer to the playoff, uh, Magnus, being that he perceives an edge in the playoff, I think he's sort of disincentivized to take chances. Yeah, I mean, I think he was saying something in the press conference about how he's not like, he's not consciously going for the tie breaks. And I think we have to take him at his word there because he does feel like he's the stronger player in all in all formats. So if he can win a game and avoid the tiebreak altogether, I'm sure he would you know, very much be willing to take that chance. Yeah, for sure. It just, it seems like he's just like when he didn't play B5 in the last white and apologize to people who, who, you know, don't have the positions um at the tip of their fingers, but, but I mean, you can look it up and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people will, to be honest, but when he didn't play that pawn break and stuff like that, I mean, it just seems like there's this edge lacking that in an open tournament or even an invitational, he would just, he would always go for it. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, he had this quote in the press conference that he's he. Um, I think it was referring to one of these moments in the, the Queen's Gambit decline game where he's playing too soft. Yeah, um, exactly. I think it's understandable given the match format. I mean, you don't want to take risks when it's not necessary, especially if he thinks he's favored in, in a playoff. And I mean, it's to probably to his benefit to to draw the rest of the games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it might, go ahead, Coaster. Sorry, it might just be like, I mean, a stylistic thing as well. Um, is like the the narrative is usually that like in very dynamic positions, Caruana is is not worse than Magnus because he can 
basically outcalculate him in certain positions. But in more like drier technical positions, this is where Carlson like usually gets his edge. So he might just be, you know, psychologically steering himself in that direction in general. And thus, in many cases, yeah, playing too soft and, and this kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so let's pivot away from the games because uh, we'll know soon enough. We'll, yeah. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be back at it tomorrow. So tell us a little more about, oh, actually, uh, you know, in order to pivot, I'll ask a question from Jay Stallings, who you guys both know. Um, he sa- So Jay asks, uh, what is the overall feeling of the chess fan base in London? Are the majority pulling for one candidate or the other? Are fans banding together based on their favorite candidate? Is one side more vocal than the other? Um, well... I can say based on Twitter that there's a lot more Magnus Carlsen fans um, whenever I'm doing a poll um, at, or just seeing who who's trending towards Magnus or Fabiano. It seems like a lot of a uh, lot more people are rooting for Magnus, probably just because of the whole um, I guess chess culture in Norway. Uh, but the venue itself, I think, um, I mean, it seems more that the fans are just rooting for exciting chess and they want to see... They want to see blood. Yeah. Um, there, there's been a mix of, of Fabiano fans and Magnus fans. I mean, there's uh, met a lot of people who have traveled from the, the U.S. to watch this. Um, a lot of people from Norway, too. So it seems like a pretty good mix. And um, there's I, I don't think there's been anything like too crazy in terms of like uh, uh, like huge fan bases or um cheering sections or whatever it's not like a a typical sporting venue when you get those the hardcore uh fans cheering for one side did yeah, it did, probably, sorry, sorry i've definitely been uh, no worries i've definitely been in like a, a team fabi bubble uh online <laughs> yeah, right. it's like 80 percent is is for caruana yeah i mean being that you you know you you guys are representing u.s chess and uh eric's doing the twitter takeover for u.s chess in addition to taking some great pictures and bobby and uh kostia's taking over uh the write-ups for u.s chess uh, i was gonna ask did it did a cheer go out at least when uh when fabiano played d4 and it was an open sicilian yesterday well i was in the playing room when it happened because um, it was the first five minutes of the round when we were taking photos um, and I like I was emotional inside that I was just so excited to, to finally see an open Sicilian. And I was a lot more focused on just getting the reactions from from both players when D4 was played. Um, but uh, from what I can say, I mean, there I, I wasn't seeing too much of the um, uh, the fan reactions. I was just seeing the, the photographer reactions and um, being in the uh, the playing room for the first five minutes. It's just constant shutter noise of, of cameras going off so i think uh, a lot of the journalists and photographers there were also excited to to finally see an open sicilian yeah that makes sense and eric could you tell us a little bit i think i saw david lado on twitter saying that it's uh, rather crowded for the photographers so what's it what's it like in there jostling trying to get uh trying to get um you know capture these moments oh, you just broke up there Ah, uh, okay um can you yeah so I, I just mentioned that David Lotta was saying on Twitter that there's barely room for the t- photographers for with all the photographers that are there. So I was just wondering uh, what it's like trying to capture the moment. Like, are you able to like carve out enough space to try to get uh, captured the right picture? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, the, the space is very tight. Uh, there's a roped off section where the photographers can stand. Um, 
but it it fills up by the time uh, the first move is played, and there's about say twenty to thirty people in a very tight space. Um, so the trick has been to get there as early as possible. Uh, the line for the players or for the uh, the photographers and videographers usually starts about thirty to forty minutes before the round. Um, so. I usually try and get there as early as possible, so at least I can I can get a good spot. And it is a challenge to get angles of both of the players because um, you kind of have to pick one side of like which player you're facing, and you can't really get too close to the the center. Um, so every day I try and get uh, a side of a different player, and I've I've been using different lenses too to try and get a, a variety of shots. So the the photos aren't just too um, too repetitive. I mean, I've been really impressed with everything I've seen. I mean, you you're doing a great job capturing uh, the the tenseness. I mean, so many emotions. I mean, uh, Magnus, uh, even more so than other matches. I feel like he's uh, he's really wearing his emotions on his sleeves uh, in the course of the matches. Oh, and for I- sure. I mean, he's he's been one of my favorite players to photograph. I think he's on the same uh, realm of, of Kasparov, just showing a different expression like every few seconds. Yeah. Uh, especially in the pre- press conferences, too. Those have been some of my favorite shots when he's reacting to some of these, uh, these questions from the journalists. Yeah. And Kostya, have you been hanging out mostly in the press room, or are you uh, mingling sort of uh, with the, the general fans? Uh, so I visited for the last two rounds, games uh, seven and eight. I basically spent actually very little time in the press room. I mostly just wanted to see what it's like to uh, like see the players in the spectator room and then watch someone like the official commentary and, and just kind of hang out around the venue. And uh, what's so what's it like? I mean, I've seen some complaints online and some compliments. What's your overall impression of uh, how, how Fide slash Agron did organizing this? Um, yeah, so overall, I, I think the venue is actually really nice. Like, it's nicely designed and, and it's organized well. There's, uh, like, a bunch of different rooms. There's uh, there's a nice cafe that has, like, food and coffee and drinks and stuff. And, uh, like, several places to just, like, listen to the official commentary. You can go in and, and watch it live if there's uh, space. And um, at first, actually, it, it seemed a little weird that they were just giving out these, like, 30-minute time slots to actually see the game. Um, but when you're in there, you know, it's like you can't check your phone. You just have to watch the game nonstop. So, like, you don't really want to be in there for more than 30 minutes. You want to get up, take a break, and then they usually let you come back in later if you're uh, interested in, in having another go. Uh, so I feel like the design really works. It's just that if it gets really, really crowded, then it's tough for everyone. But as long as people kind of, like, keep moving around the different stations, then I, I think it kind of works well. Okay. And do you think a bigger venue would have been better? I think it certainly like would have been preferable. There's clearly the interest, you know, of, of a lot of people to to justify a bigger venue. Um but then maybe they you know, there are obviously like a thousand things you have to consider when choosing something. So maybe there are other like uh issues with, with a bigger place, you know, like I don't know, the security's not the same or the Wi is different or, you know, any number of things. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I'm sure the fact that they're it's in like the last two have been in these large population centers, New York and London, I imagine that that uh makes it a little more cost prohibitive to find a larger venue and it's a sort of a speculative venture. I mean, you if you have empty seats, that's not a good outcome. So um, Yeah, I mean, I should say it's also just like in a great location. Like it's 
near the center of London. There's tons of stuff around. It's like easy to get to. Um, so I think we should be a little grateful that it's not like in the middle of nowhere, basically. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and dare I ask if you guys, I mean, uh, you know, no one in U.S. chess is uh, too many degrees separated from Fabi. And I know that you guys at minimum have some friends in common. So have you had any contact with uh, with Fabi or his team during the match? Um, not, I mean, during the match, the only person who I, I saw briefly was uh, Christian Carilla, mm-hmm. um, who's been at the playing venue most days. I think usually he hangs out in the VIP area. But um, yeah, the, the World Championship match, it's much different from these other big events like Singfield Cup or the St. Louis Blitz and Rapid, where you can get like autographs from players after the game, or you can kind of interact with the players uh, later. Um, it seems like they're they're both kind of in their own uh, zone, and they're not uh, not interacting with too many outsiders. Yeah, can't blame them for that. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> obviously uh, so much so much on their shoulders. And and I was wondering when you're at the match, especially as as it goes on, do you guys feel like an increased sense of tension amongst the fans, even, or is it still just enjoying the spectacle? Yeah, there definitely seems to be increasing tension with every game because, um, like, I mean, I wasn't here for the first game, but I'm sure that was really exciting. But after, like, a couple of draws, I feel like, yeah, it just always builds as people are like, well, you know, something has to happen at some point. So (laughs) the more it doesn't happen, the more we kind of anticipate it. Yeah, and there's always a possibility, like, the more draws there are, less room there is for error and i mean there could very well be 11 draws and if fabiano like sneaks one victory in the last game he's new world champion so certainly there's you you can feel it like there's a lot of tension uh especially amongst the players but also amongst uh, the fans Mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's (laughs) it's fun to watch i mean it's uh I, I mean, it's yeah, I get a little nervous just watching and I don't even have a like totally clear rooting interest, but it just the stakes, the stakes feel so, so enormous. Um, so is this I, one thing I couldn't remember is have you guys is this the first world championship for both of you guys? This is actually the second one for me. I was in uh, New York in 2016 just for a couple of days. Um, it worked out well to uh, to visit a friend uh, for a few days in New York and stop by the championship but um i mean this is the first one that i'm i'm here for pretty much the the full duration of the match yeah this is the first one that that i've been uh in attending live excellent first of many hopefully yeah yeah, yeah. um eric so how would you compare uh the two how would you compare like the being being at the match between these two matches um i would say it's similar i think new york had it seemed like just had more more of a social component for the fans. Like there, were, there was more space to actually like play people. There were like more free play areas like during the games to uh, to kind of meet and play. And they had a giant chess board or giant chess uh, pieces outside of the venue in New York. So people were always like playing on the set um, in the streets, which drew a lot of a uh, lot of attention. Um, but I would say it's pretty similar. I mean. Um, the fact that they're playing behind this like soundproof glass barrier and um i mean the whole kind of 
setup where there, there's different areas to kind of enjoy the match between the cafe area and the free play area and the, the media room. Um, so it's similar in a lot of ways, but um, clearly it seems like the, the the culture between New York and London is, of course, very different. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, uh, uh, you're probably more familiar with the New York culture, I would imagine. So what's what's noticeably different uh, in London? Um. It just seems like a much more diverse crowd. Like you get a lot of Europeans, a lot of uh, a lot of people from the U.S., uh, a lot of people from right here in London. Um, I've had the, the fortune of, of meeting a lot of just random people. Like when I walk through the venue, pretty much every day someone will recognize me right. from uh, from my online content, which is pretty cool. Um, like the very first day I arrived. Uh, I was trying to find like the name of the street to catch an Uber, and I, ra- I asked uh, some random pedestrian, and he didn't know the name of the street, but he he recognized me. From, <laughs> That's uh, great. Which, <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so it's really cool to just meet a, a large variety of people and already have like the the chess connection. And, um, I've been, uh, of course, for myself, I've been meeting a lot of uh, a lot of like big names in the chess world. I've been trying to take selfies with any uh, any. Like notable chess figure, uh, had a selfie with Hao Yifan a few days ago, um, met David Yada for the first time, I met um, Fiona um, and Astena, who are both pretty notable streamers. So, I mean, the number of people who are here who have had a, a big name in the chess community is, um, is pretty awesome. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, hopefully you guys either get to have, share a few meals together or drinks uh, once, uh, mm-hmm. once your work is finally done. Yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of meetups uh, coming up. We're actually going to this uh, chessable meetup mm-hmm. uh, tonight, and then there's a meetup for LeeChess.org in a, a few days. So I'll be going to both of those. Very much looking forward to uh, having some some social aspect outside of the match. Yeah, that that sounds good to me. And why don't you tell our listeners? Because I didn't. You know, uh, we had David Cramley on Perpetual Chess a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned the meetup, but I didn't get the memo about the sort of hook of the the blitz tournament they're doing so could you could you tell our listeners briefly what's happening there yeah um so this is just what we read briefly online so maybe they they changed it or or they might change it still but i think the initial premise was that everyone was going to show up and register as either team carlson or team caruana like based on who you're rooting for and then they give you a mask of that player uh, before this big blitz tournament, so the idea is gonna it's gonna be like a huge team blitz event, and you also have no idea who you're playing against because we're just gonna be seeing uh, each other's masks. So that sounds really cool. There's supposed to be uh, a couple of uh, grandmasters coming, a bunch of IMs. I'm sure a lot of strong blitz players. So it'll be it'll be a pretty exciting event. We're yeah we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, it sounds super fun. Um, okay, guys, I think, uh, I, th- I think you guys have, have done your jobs. I mean, graciously uh, shared uh, what it's like to be there, and uh, we, we've dissected the games a little bit. Is there anything else uh, you guys would like to share with, uh, with our listeners, or do you, are uh, we done here? I mean, I'll just put a plug for um, our, our social media accounts, because yeah. um, both of us will be tweeting pretty regularly. Um, of course, I'm taking over U.S. Chess uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, which is probably the best place to see the, the photos. And I'm tweeting a, a bit from my, my personal Twitter, too, um, which I'm sure people can find without too much trouble. Yeah, like all the places 
that there are to follow the match. I feel like Twitter is just the best because you'll get the highlights from like what happens in St. Louis, what happens on like Chess 24 from the official one. So yeah, Twitter is just the place to be to watch. Yeah, I agree. And with so many amazing announcers, it's like, it's incredible. I mean, it's if, if you're not, if personally for me, I mean, unfortunately I'm not at my computer watching all that much, but like the other day I was, uh, not going to win any parent of the year awards for this, but I was uh, playing with my kids in the basement and I check out Twitter and I saw that Vichy Anand was uh, was coming on the U.S. chess broadcast. So I grab my headphones and turn on, you know, <laughs> plug in, plug in the interview while I'm sitting there playing train. Like, I mean, and Grishik himself is, uh, you know, appointment viewing, basically. So uh, and not to mention just sort of the the actual match and the tension of the game. So yeah, I I agree. It's uh it's the place to be, and and you guys are doing a great job. Coaster, your write ups have been great, uh, Eric. Mm-hmm. I, I've I already mentioned. Um, I mean, you got Eric. Hopefully, we'll get you back on as a proper guest soon, and then you're gonna um, teach us all your Twitter secrets because you're you're very good on the the Twitter takeovers for U.S. Chess. Oh well, thanks. Um, I will say there there was a U.S. Chess article, kind of a Q and A with me and Jen Shahadi, um, about what makes a good chess tweet. So I'm sure people can find that um, if they, they scroll down far enough on my Twitter my uh, Twitter feed. Okay, cool, and yeah, and I'll link to both of your guys's uh, YouTube channels and Twitter in this little description. And thanks again, guys. I know that uh, you don't get that much rest time, so I really appreciate you guys uh, helping out. And uh, you know, um giving our listeners uh some perspective on on something that i'm sure everyone listening wishes they could experience yeah thanks so much ben our pleasure all right guys have fun tonight thanks bye-bye take care thanks to everyone who helps make perpetual chess possible that includes my esteemed producer matthew passy and Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music and everyone who's put in a good word for the show whether it be on a podcast platform like apple Podcasts or telling a friend or anything like that As you guys know, I spend a lot of time on the show, probably about five hours a week between the research and the booking guests and the social media and the actual interview. I love doing it, but it can be hard to find the time. Which brings me to the financial support. I want to give special thanks to those who contribute to the show. Extra special thanks to Chessable.com for their generous support. And I also want to thank, as always, my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Partners. You are... Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancourge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Ali Morchetti, Andres Quizdra, Brian Mullis, Carl Labond, I am Carlos Perdomo of ChessAtlanta.com, Bill Moran, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Chabri, Chris Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel D. Schaefer, Daniel Viney, David Cramley, CEO of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am elect Donnie Ariel, Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, I am Greg Shahadi, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Augard of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Willem, Jennifer Valens of OffTheRook.com, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Hartman, John Jernigan, WGM Jen Shahadi, Jen Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovyutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Laura Belyavsky, Leah Delgado, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Passi, Macaulay Peterson, Martin Habish, Matthew Tedesco, Nate Salen, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, 
Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahava, Rob Lazorczak, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Ryan Sohn, Steiner Lima, Stuart Katz, WGM Tatia of Abrahamian, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrinkulj, Zhao Cheng, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. Catch you guys next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.